John, 16th chapter of St. John. I think perhaps the change of, uh, of seating will maybe help my neck a little bit. I'm used to looking this way, now I can look this way. <laughs> All right, thanks for the help, appreciate it. <laughs> I thought somebody might catch that, I wasn't sure whether... <laughs> Either that or Brother Paul forgot his right guard. I'm not sure which. We'll check it out a little bit later. <laughs> All right, let's begin reading at the uh, 23rd verse. Read to the end of the chapter. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask in the, in, ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy might be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name, and I, will, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because he hath loved me and hath believed and I have believed that I came out from the Father. I came forth from the Father, and have come into the world. Again I leave the world, and go to the Father. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speaketh no proverb. Now we are sure, now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou cometh forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, and now is, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye shall have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Father, we thank you again for your word and for the privilege of being able to know it. We thank you, Master, because you see and care for every one of us. And because of that, Father, we're privileged people. We pray that you would anoint the word tonight, touch our bodies, and let us be able to be under the influence of you, the holiness of God, and we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Notice the question that Jesus asked in the 31st verse. He said, Do you now believe? Now, the reason he said that was because he was going to tell them something that they probably didn't want to hear. He said, The hour cometh, and now is, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own. You'll leave me alone, and yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. He goes on to say, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now Jesus speaks two seemingly impossibilities here in our life, and we're going to deal only with one. Mention one briefly, he seems to intimate that during our tribulation periods we ought to be happy about that. 
and that in itself is enough to cause you to wonder uh, how this man is speaking and why is he saying those things to us. But he says something else, and I begin a message on be happy because of tribulation, and I read on down to the other portion of it, the one that ended the chapter, and he made a statement there that just simply grabbed a hold of me and wouldn't get away. And so God began to deal with me on that. He simply says, I have overcome the world. And I thought, what a statement. It was made by the mouth of Jesus, and I began to wonder, what did he mean when he said that he had overcome the world? We see no cities falling before him in the onslaught of his armies. We see no armies. We see nothing that indicates that he was able to overcome the world, so to speak, as his statements seem to intimate. So is he making a false statement there just to give them hope? Or is he actually saying something that actually happened in their lives and can happen in ours? So trying to understand, of course, you know that these things are written as far as the Eastern custom is concerned and... Sometimes translation breaks down, especially from uh, Hebrew to Greek and then from Greek to English. And you lose a whole lot of things that he's trying to say. So I scurried as quick as I could into some of the books that I have to find out what the word overcome means actually in the Greek. And it simply means to make inferior, to enslave or to become the master of. And then the world, of course, is from the Greek word aeon, which means age, and a better translation of that is characteristics of the age, the happenings in the age. So Jesus simply was making the statement that he had caused this age that he was living in to be inferior to everything that God wanted. He had enslaved or used that age to the betterment of God's kingdom and cause. He had become the master of the age that he was living in. And he had made all these things that seemed to dominate everyone else's life had made them inferior in his own life. Everyone else that seemed to have been enslaved by the characteristics of the age, he enslaved that part of it himself. He became the master of everything that surrounded him. And uh, not only that, but he told us to do the same thing. Not only did he do it, that's the good part about it. We know that he, God dwelling in him, was able to do all of these things, but he was our example. He did these things, made the statements that he did, lived the life that he lived as our example to show us that it could be done. And then he challenges us in Revelations, the third chapter, the 21st verse, that we should overcome and sit down with him on his father's throne even as he overcame. So I got to thinking concerning just actually what did he triumph over? What did he set to naught in his life? And you would be surprised where that leads you. Probably be a good two or three hours seminar and then you wouldn't get done. But to cut it briefly, I named a few things that I thought was probably pertinent to our lives tonight. And we might be able to look and see what Jesus is demanding of us. Sometimes his demands seem to be plumb out of kelter with our abilities, doesn't it? 
And he means for that to be. Because he wants us to know that when we are faced with these obstacles and things that in our way, he wants us to know that there's no possible way that we're ever going to be able to do it. It has to be done through submission to the mighty power that indwells us. We have to learn, saints of God, to be sensitive to what God has to say. And we have to learn to realize that the things that he asks us to do are possibilities. Now, we are living in a religious age that is a wearisome age. Simply because of the pie-in-the-sky messages, of the idea that you come, touch the Lord just a little bit, all your worries are over, got no problems whatsoever, riches and fame would soon be ours, everything got a little heart pity-patted for would soon be ours, and this is a message that has covered the world for quite some time, and it's gaining momentum, and by the same token, it is devouring unstable souls. But anybody that is a Bible student, if we care to look in the Bible, anybody that cares to search the Scriptures can really readily see that God enters us into a warfare, enters us into a battle. When he speaks of overcoming, that didn't mean that he snapped his finger and things happened. That simply means that he worked on it and overcame it. That simply means that he took charge of it because he realized that he could. And because Jesus did not snap his finger and cause these things to be, he wants us to know that overcoming is a progressive thing and overcoming is a battle. Overcoming is not a one-day accomplishment. And especially with the many, many things that are facing you and I in this age that we live in and this dispensation we live in. See, Jesus was the conqueror or the overcomer of his age. Ages come and go, and we are in a different era now, and we're in a different age, and we have almost, though, in a different age, some of the same things that human flesh cries for that has to be overcome. Human flesh never changes. It's always offering us, maybe in different manners or different ways, but it's always offering us something that is contrary to the will of God in our life, which means immediately we are set for a fight. And the only way you can overcome is to fight. Have you ever seen one nation overcome another without a fight? You ever seen one individual overcome another individual, become the victor over another one without a fight? You never have and you never will. So when he speaks concerning overcoming, it simply means that Jesus fought the good fight. He overcame his age, characteristics of his age. He made everything in his age inferior to what God wanted out of him. He enslaved it, brought it under bondage, rather than allow it to bring him under bondage, and he become the master of it all, refusing to submit even in death to what the enemy wanted. And then he challenges us again in Revelations. Now, if I read my Bible right, whenever he talked to the churches, everything that he ever promised was to the ones that overcome. So what are the overcoming areas? Some of them, at least especially, maybe we'll deal with tonight. If we can take our time, what are some of the areas, some of the examples that Jesus overcame and also tells us that we should overcome? I think he spells it out very clearly in Matthew 13, 22, when he talks about the seed being sown, and the seed is the word of God, and the sower goes forth and sows the seed, and you understand this because it's been dealt with a lot, and he says there's a certain class of individuals where 
having sprouted from the ground and having come up, having looked like it's going to blossom into something good that has been planted, then he said, the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Again, we have dealt with that before. But when Jesus looked out himself, and notice, he was very careful that he underwent all the process of humanity. He was very careful that he met every obstacle that you and I are ever going to be forced to meet in his three years and a half of his ministry. He met and overcome the powers of the enemy by his practice of his living. Not simply a sporadic way of life, living for God one minute, up here one minute, down here the next minute, by his actual level of faith of living, he demonstrated his ability to cause the world to become inferior to him. In fact, the business is, this is what angered the Pharisees and Sadducees and the rulers, is because Jesus considered them and their power inferior to him and his power that indwelt him. That angered them. It will anger the world today. But when you see that the care of life, Jesus wanted us to know that we do have the ability to make the cares of this life inferior to the cares of his kingdom. You cannot, and he does not ask that we escape the care. You're going to have to care if you have any feeling about you at all. You're going to have to have some caring about you. But he wants us to replace the cares of this world, what it seeks to dominate us with, he wants us to replace that with caring about the kingdom of God. Right. How to better build the kingdom of God. How to better live lives that demonstrate the kingdom of God is within us. How to enslave and cause these cares to work for us. How to become the master of all the cares that the world seeks to heap upon us and make us to realize that the cares of the kingdom and cause of God is far more important than the measly little cares of this world that come and go and will always seek to be dominant factor in our life. Jesus mastered his age. Jesus stood the test. Jesus said he overcame the world. He overcame his age. Then he seemed to intimate in Revelations that if we're going to sit down in the kingdom of God with him, then we're going to have to demonstrate the same power, the same abilities, and overcome the age that you and I are living in today. We are in a difficult age. We're in a difficult time. We're in a day and hour in which saints of God are split Jealousy rages. Envy and malice is everywhere. And it's a token of the cares of this world. We look at it and we begin to be concerned about life. We're concerned about what is happening to us. We're concerned about what people say about us. How they look upon us. And naturally that's a human attribute. That's a human trait. And we would be less than human if we did not feel some sort of scorn in that area. But Jesus is saying those things may be the cares of this life, but you put them asunder and put the kingdom and cause of Almighty God first. Realize who you are. Realize what you are. Realize why He has chosen you. Realize why He has placed you where you're at. And realize that you are to be the dominant factor in this day and age that we live. 
Jesus spoke it, and he made us aware that it was our privilege, and thus overcoming this age. I looked at that, and I thought, God, you're asking quite a lot out of us, something in which humanly impossible for us. But he said, cares of this life. And then I begin to look. I begin to study cares of my life. That's the best way in the world for us to function is not look at the cares of other people's lives right immediately, but to search out the cares of our own life. See what seeks to dominate you. I, I challenge you to do that in the morning. When you wake up, immediately you're going to be faced with some cares of this world. Whether it's cares on your job, whether it's cares in your home, whether it's cares of somebody else, you're going to be faced immediately with some cares of this age. And those cares are seeking to dominate your thinking throughout the day. They're seeking to control your whole life throughout the day. And if we do not enslave them, if we do not capture them, if we do not become the master of them, then it's going to take our whole day dealing with the cares of this world. And Jesus says there's something far more important than the cares of this world. There's the kingdom and cause of God, and there's souls out there that are dying that needs to know the grace of God. And so he tells us to be an overcomer. Now, what does that mean? That means a fight. Now, if you don't believe it, start out in the morning and begin to look at the cares. You're going to be met with them immediately. You'll be met with them when you get up. Perhaps uh, your husband will be on the wrong side of the bed or maybe your wife will be on the wrong side of the bed. Or perhaps you meet it immediately on your job someplace, somewhere during the day. This present age is going to challenge you. It's going to stare you in the face and it's going to say, I need your time today. And if we don't fight, you see there again, there's a war. And while this age is trying to be the dominant factor in our life, there's something stirs inside that says there needs to be some care about God's kingdom. There needs to be some care and some time to realize that the world is dying. Jesus is coming soon, and we need to give some thought to the kingdom and cause of God. What was it Jesus said when they challenged him? He said, why, I've just come into this world to do the will of my Father. It was that simple. That's why I'm here. That's why I stand like I do. That's why I don't give these things any thought. I simply am placed in this world to do the will of my Father. And he asked us to say the same words. Now, you cannot ignore your job. It has to be done. You cannot ignore the things that beckon, but you can make them inferior. You cannot, must not let them dominate your thinking and your life all day. If you do, you're going to have some anger and you're going to have some uh, envy and you're going to have a lot of things that is not Christian-like in your life. But Jesus says, make it inferior. Jesus says, when the battle starts, enslave it. Take it captive. Become the master of the cares of this life. In other words, realize that we serve one. <laughs> Hallelujah. We serve one. And if we'll cast all our cares upon him, he cares for us. 
you can't solve your problems anyway. There is no way that you can solve these problems, but they can dominate your life that whole day and that night till you go to sleep and they'll continue that the next day. Every day is a fresh new arena for a fight. Amen? Every day we wake up, there's a source inside, powers of the enemy outside, that seeks to dominate our thinking, that seeks to control us, and that's this present age that we live in. Cares of this life. So dominates sometimes individual lives that it robs us of our prayer life, takes away our witness, takes away our abilities to do what God wants us to do simply because we did not become an overcomer that day. Also, there's a wisdom of this age that people are seeking for. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, he says, My preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power of God. This, as far as Paul was concerned, all his learning of the Sanhedrin, all the smarts that he had sitting in the field of Gamaliel, this man was the first one to admit that he could not preach and could not reach souls by man's wisdom, by what he had been taught in religious circles. He realized if a soul was going to be touched, it would have to be touched through the anointing, presence, and power of Almighty God. And Paul says these words, he made man's wisdom inferior. He did not say, I forget everything I ever learned. He did not do that, but he made man's wisdom inferior to the wisdom that he had learned sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. He enslaved and mastered that wisdom that he'd had, and he used it to the advantage of the kingdom and cause of Almighty God. Got nothing against the wisdom obtained through the schools. Got nothing against the uh, wisdom of, of, of psychologists, all the great degrees. Got nothing against that at all. The danger of that is that it rules supreme and God doesn't have a chance whatsoever. Take the smartest man in the world and put that smart into obedience of Almighty God and you've got a human dynamo that can touch human lives in ways that you wouldn't understand. But Paul was saying simply that I have made what I have learned from man be a slave to me. I will not allow that wisdom to enslave me. I become its master. I use that not to dominate and destroy the saints of God like he was, but he come in contact with somebody that changed his life. He come in contact with Jesus, and all at once, the wisdom of man became inferior to the wisdom of God. He learned wisdom from above. He found on his knees adoration and praise and prayer to Almighty God, and he enslaved that, and he used that. And that's what he's asking us to do. Learn all you can. Seek out all you can. But realize this. There's more failures in the world, more failures in the ministry of individuals that have depended upon their own wisdom. You cannot ever stand behind the pulpit. You cannot ever be a teacher in a classroom without giving God first place in your life. Let him rule and let him reign. He also talks about the fashions 
of the age. Jesus overcame that. And he tells us in Romans, Paul writing in Romans 12 and 2, says, be not conformed to this world. Have you ever seen in Christian life so much conformity to a world? Have you ever seen individuals want to be so much like the world and still just be able to hold on to God just a little bit? That's conforming to the world. That is letting the world dictate its fashions to you in your life. And Jesus tells us, Paul tells us, that we should make these fashions inferior to God's commands for us. That we should enslave and become masters uh, of those fashions and sort out from our life. And God will tell us what would be the wise thing to do in this age, how to walk in this age. He also said, be a what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Master and enslave your mind. <laughs> and I thought, my God, if we could conquer that, if we could get a hold of that, if some way or somehow that would fit into the category of our living where we could bring our mind under control of Almighty God and think the things that He thinks. Jesus said it Himself. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. What kind of a mind did He have to enslave the world? To bring it under control of Him. To bring His control, His thinking under control of Almighty God. To bring His mind to think what God would think. Wake up in the morning, saints. Start your day. Ask yourself, what would God think about my life today? Which direction would He want me to walk? What would He want me to control in this area? And if we could ever learn I'm going to say it again, that every day is an arena of conflict. Every day we wake up, we're wrestling against the cares of this world, the wisdom of this world, are the fashions of this world, and it's there looming before us, and it's seeking a fight and a conflict from us. But it doesn't get it from a lot of Christian people. There is no conflict there, simply because it takes two to fight. And the devil... When he sees we're not going to fight, he assumes that he wins, and he does. And why did Paul say that we should master or enslave this world and be not conformed to it? He simply says that you might prove. You see, you've got to be conformative and transformed to God's will. There's a reason. And that reason is something that misses us. He said that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And when we do that, then we have become an overcomer. It would be nice just to be an overcomer for a day, but it would be nicer to be an overcomer for a week. And it would be nicer to be an overcomer for a month and then a year and then get used to the overcoming life in so much that you wouldn't dwell in the enslavery of the enemy. And yet, in spite of it, God is still asking that we do that. Be an overcomer. I have overcome the world. I look at that and I thought, what a statement to make. And then having the audacity to ask us to be overcomers. But is he asking this out of the foolishness of his mind? Or does he actually believe we can do that? Take a little time. Does God actually believe 
That we can, does Jesus actually believe when he's talking that we can actually do what he did? And yet every statement he makes lets us know that he actually has faith enough and believes that through him we can do these things. But we have to have the same motive, the same purpose, and the same desire that Jesus had. Not momentarily, not under the influx of emotionalism, but simply a purpose set before him from the inception. An aim, a goal that he was headed for, and he realized the only way he could ever accomplish what he was sent into this world for was to bring this world, this age, its characteristics, its domineering factors, bring them under control of him, insomuch that they did not, did not dominate one section of his thinking, not one section of his walking, not one portion of his life. And so he walked always toward the goal. What was the goal of Jesus Christ? To salvage souls for the kingdom. What was the goal of Jesus Christ? Is see you wallowing in sin and despair and knew that he was the only chance you had had he failed in his goal, had he failed in his mission, you and I would have no privilege of ever knowing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when he went away, he said, I then placed the responsibility upon my many-membered body, and I expect them to have the same purpose and the same goal and the same victory that I have had and to overcome. Overcome this age. Overcome this world. What was it he said? 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and talking about people, said, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of those who believe not. I'm not so sure he was talking about rank sinners. Because these books are written to Christian believing, living individuals. I think he was hitting a group of individuals who simply did not come to full belief in Jesus Christ to be able to do the things that he asked. So what is he saying here? He's simply saying that we are to make whatever God that rules in our age. Now we know that this God is the prince of the powers of the enemy. We know that. We know that this God is the devil. But what does he work through in our age? In the age of Jesus, he worked through false religions. In the age of Jesus, he worked through many areas. But what is the gods of our age? What is the characteristics that we face that seek to dominate our lives and cause us to bow before them? What is it? And when you look at it, you'll see it as our leaders, as they succumb to that. It's money. Notice the scandal of our leaders that's supposed to be leading our nation out of bankruptcy, and they themselves cannot even handle their own money. What is that? They're worshiping a God. A God that has become predominant in our age. And in our age, that's a God that's living. That's a God that seems to be alive. That's a God that is seeking to control the lives of everybody that is here that are Christians. 
And Jesus is telling us that don't let the God of this world blind your eyes to the reality. That's a God. Everybody is wanting everything that somebody else has got. Grappling, stepping on individual lives. Don't care how they do it. And then there's power. That Just give me some power. These are just a few gods that dominate our life. Rebellion is a God that seeks to dominate and seeks to control. Envy is a God that has ruled its way into the church. And malice and all of these things are gods that have demanded our attention and blinded our eyes to the reality of where we're at. And Jesus tells us that make this God inferior to that which indwells you, your God. Make that God inferior. You can't get rid of it. It's there. It's there to stay. It's there to challenge you every day that you wake up, every time you go to the store, every time you meet somebody. These gods in some way are there to demand that you fall down and worship Him. A lot of individuals simply do not give God time, do not give them the money that God asked out of them. This simply means to say that this God has blinded your eyes. He has dominated your thinking. And Jesus says that you have to make this God inferior. You've got to overcome Him. You've got to recognize that He's out to destroy you and you're supposed to enslave Him. You're supposed to master Him. Master the greed. Master the rebellion. Master and enslave all of those gods that seek to employ and use you. Become their master. Do not allow them to dominate your life in the morning. Don't wake up and bow down to one of those things, but wake up and bow your knee to the great eternal Jehovah God that can give us what we want, what we desire, and what we need. But this does not come without a battle. Every morning that we wake up, we're faced with who is going to dominate our lives today. Now, I know what I'm talking about, and you do too. You're faced with that decision. does not make you not a Christian. It just simply makes you not an overcomer. And we're so desperately in the need of overcomers in our world today, aren't we? We're so desperately in need of individuals that become aware that they're faced with these few things that I've mentioned, the cares of this life. Who's going to win in the morning? The care of God's kingdom, that you give Him what it needs above everything else. Make the cares of this life inferior. You have to take care of some of these things, but what's first? Also the wisdom of this world, how you're going to use it, uh, the age that you're living in. Look around you and seek and watch its tentacles as it seeks to grasp hold of your life and pull you asunder little by little into the quicksand and blind your eyes and cause you not to see that you're actually being dominated by something other than your God. So what's he saying? Talking about the conversation of the age. I think the Apostle Paul writes it, that he says he's put off the conversation, of the, or the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. 
You see, when a man, woman, boy, or girl comes to God, his conversation ought to change. And yet, how many individuals have you saw, do you know, and I'm sure there's many of them, that their conversation never changes. Their ideals are the same. Everything that dominated them before still dominates their life. They have not become an overcomer. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed them. He's invited them to become a part of Him. That the conversation of the old man still remains the same. You say, well, how can that be? Simply because it takes us through our abilities through Christ to put it off. You see, Jesus did not say he would put it off. Paul did not say that. He told us that put off concerning the former conversation of the old man. That is our job. And yet facing us, facing us tomorrow, facing us the next day, is the corrupt conversations of this world. So what do we do? Put it off? not become involved in it, enslave it, become the master of it, make it inferior to the new language that you have learned through Jesus Christ. Make this conversation of this world inferior. Count it as nothing concerning the new language and that which you have been initiated into, thus becoming an overcomer. There again, it is your responsibility to put it off. It will be there. You will want to talk like you used to talk. You'll probably want to go to the same haunts and do the same things until it condemns you and then there is an arena. There's the fight. There's the overcoming that we have to do. We have to realize that we have become involved with a new master. We're not serving the same one. Our conversation, our places we go, our attitudes toward people has to be changed. If it isn't, the dominating force of the enemy is still there. And then I run across something that I'm sure most of you know, and I suppose it would be adding insult to injury, but James calls the tongue a world. Now, he didn't stop there, did he? He called it a world of iniquity. What do we do about that? What are we supposed to do with that? Well, if what Jesus says means anything, we're supposed to master it. We're supposed to make it our slave. Can you imagine this tongue saying what God wants us to say and not what we want to say? Can you imagine an overcomer in that area? Can you imagine to what heights of spirituality a church could reach if it overcome this world of iniquity? If it come under your control and God's control, you see, what God has to say through this tongue, He didn't tell us that He'd make us mute. He didn't tell us that we need to cut it out. He just simply says, use it for the upbuilding of my kingdom and cause. 
It's a good thing. It's hanging in there for some good reason. It's there. God gave it to you. It forms your words. It forms your vocabulary. But it is up for grabs. When you wake up in the morning, it either belongs to the age you're living in or it belongs to the age of God, one of the two. The best way in the world to start off a day is allowing God to have control of your tongue and let Him use that tongue for the upbuilding of the kingdom and cause of God. When you get weary and when you get aggravated and when things don't go just right and there is a sense within you that demands that you use this tongue to put down your day, to put down your neighbor, put down the happenings or whatever. Stop just long enough and ask God what good thing that you could say about your day. I remember of being tried with this. It hadn't been very long ago. I fell off a ladder. <laughs> As I fell off the ladder, I cracked a bone right there. I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. Let's see, it was Jack's ladder. So first off, I could blame him for having such a ladder as that and for letting me have it to use. Or my foolishness of not watching what I was doing. Or my wife for telling me that those things on that trailer needed to be taken care of. And I thought of all that. And there was an arena of conflict there might be funny, but there was still a conflict there. What do I do? And then still laying there in frustration and hurt, I turned my eyes and that far from a leg of the tank where my fuel is lay my head. That changed my attitude immediately. As I looked up, still laying there, and said, Thank you, Jesus, for your protecting power, and because you saw and helped me out. One of many times in which we enter into the arena of conflict, where we could use this tongue one way or the other. And Jesus says, in this world or in your age, you're going to have tribulation. But you be of good cheer. Now, don't be happy because of the tribulation. That's the wrong way to be happy. But be happy because Jesus overcame his age and gave you the power and the ability to overcome your age that you're living in. I'm about done. First John simply says, Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now what was he saying? Faith is necessary for us 
to have the power and the belief to master and enslave and take captive and make inferior everything that is against the will of God. We have to believe that we have the abilities inside of us already without crying out to God the abilities to overcome in this world. We have to believe that Jesus did not demand of us something that didn't make us more than the ability to do. And this is the victory that overcometh our age. That makes us an overcomer in every obstacle that this age places before us. This age is an age of fear. This age is an age of promiscuity. I mean, look around you and you'll see it. Rules of God mean nothing. People are dominated by the characteristics of the age. If it feels good, do it. There's no control of the homes. There's no control in the churches. There's no control in lives. It's uh, every man does that which is right in his own eyes. This is our age. This is the characteristics of our age. And Jesus says, don't submit to that. You're in this world, but you're not of it. We have a higher power inside of us. That's a God. That's a God that households are bowing down to. That's a God that fathers are bowing down to. Don't know the fatherhood of children. That's, that's, the, that's the God that mothers are bowing down to. And that's the God, sad as it might seem, that many churches are bowing to. Just let it happen. Because truth sometimes really hurts. Truth sometimes really stirs the individual. And when you speak truth... And when you speak what God is demanding, you run the risk of losing individuals in your church. But friend, if you don't speak the truth, you run the risk of losing God himself in the midst of a congregation. And after all, I'll take God any time to deal with our lives. To make us realize that there's more to it than fun and games. That there is something that he demands out of our lives. And something that if we would give, I think a lot of it is not necessarily the unwillingness to give it. I think sometimes it's the ignorance of what God demands out of us and really what we're supposed to do in our daily living. There's more to it than church on Wednesday night, Sunday school, Sunday night. That's part of it. Ought to be, ought to be really services every night, truthfully, the way the world is taking control. But there's more to it than that. It's waking up every day, realizing that you're faced with somebody that's going to dominate your life. Somebody's going to do it. Something is going to control it. And it just as well be Jesus. When you read in Revelations, read it sometimes. You'll see, every promise is to the overcomer. You don't find any promises in there to anybody else but the overcomer. Now, he speaks to churches as well as to individuals. Revelation 2.7, he that overcometh. 
uh, Revelations 2.11, 2.17, 2.26, Revelations 3.5, 12.21, Revelations 21.7, on and on. Find it. You open your Bible and read it. And it says, if you overcome in this area. What was it? The church of Ephesus had left her, lost her first love. And he says, but you've got to overcome this area. Somebody has come and stolen your love, your first love for me, and you're in an arena of conflict, and you've got to get that back. Now, Ephesus is not yesterday. Ephesus is today. Thyatira is not yesterday, it's today. Laodicea is not yesterday, it's today. And when you read concerning those churches, you'll find something missing in their midst. Now, churches don't mean a building. That means people. He was talking to people just simply like you and I. And in some way, they missed a track. They jumped a track somewhere. And he was saying, now, you're going to have to fight to regain this. And if you don't, I can't have you. Let's turn over there just a minute. You got time? You want to go home? That's tough. <laughs> Remember, uh, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 5, Therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove the candlestick out of thy place, except thou repent. What is the candlestick? It is the power, the Word, and the Spirit of God. Shows that He's still there. Oh, God help us. You walk into a lot of churches and God is not there. He's exactly where He said He would be on the outside of the Laodicean church knocking on the door and said, if you'll open to me, I still want to come in and sup with you and let you sup with me. But He's on the outside. And He says, if you remember that, and uh, if you don't remember it, I'm going to move the candlestick out of the place there. And He said, he that hath an ear, Seventh verse, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of paradise. Verse 11, he that hath an ear, let him hear. How come those words always go first? Wonder why he says that. Because he realizes that there's a lot of people have ears and they don't hear. Just because you got these little things sticking on the side of your head and don't, don't mean you're listening. And just because you hear my voice doesn't mean that it's getting inside of here. And so that's why he says that he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let him take heed. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Verse 17, he that hath an ear, let him... <laughs> there it goes again. He that hath an ear, let him hear... What the Spirit saith unto the churches. What is that Spirit? Is that some ghastly, ghostly uh, apparition that appears and into the church and, and speaks? What is that Spirit? It is the anointing presence of God, regardless of who it comes from. That's the Spirit of God. And he says, if you've got an ear, let him hear. The him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, or give him a white stone, the stone a new name written, that no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Verse 5, chapter 3, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed with white raiment. I will blot, blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Verse 12, 
Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of God, and he shall, he shall go no more out. I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Church of Laodicea, he says, Him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also am set down with my Father in his throne. In other words, we're going to sit in rulership with Jesus. If we're going to rule this world with Jesus, we're going to have to be overcomers. Ephesians speaks mystery. 2.6, Paul is writing there. And he talks about us being quickened together with Christ. And said he has raised us up together, made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How do we do this? How does this happen? Are we transported into the heavens? Is that what he's talking about, way up there someplace above the clouds? No. The way we sit in the heavenlies with Jesus is being overcomers as he's overcomer. Then and only then can we sit together with him in heavenly places or in the heavenlies. It's a place of overcoming. And Jesus overcame, and that's where he's sitting as an example. He's not actually sitting there, but as an example unto us, a place of progress, a place we can reach where we become heavenly-minded, not carnal-minded where we become spiritually minded, not naturally minded. And there we're able to sit together with Jesus because we have overcome as he has overcome. We're able to view the things of this world the way he did. We're able to look at them. Say, that's nice, but I've got something better. That's good, but I've got something better. There's hope, there's a future. Let's read this again. These things I have spoken unto you that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of cheer. I have overcome. I have enslaved. I have become the master. I have reckoned this world, this age, the characteristics of it, to be inferior. kingdom and cause of Christ. That's what it means. Now, when you wake up in the morning, wake up with the knowledge, please, the knowledge that somebody is going to dominate your day. Either this age and its characteristics it's going to dominate your day and rule your day our God is. One of the two. 